Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 50 through 58. That'll be on page 962 of your pew Bibles there. This chapter is, as many of you know, kind of the chapter on the resurrection, which is our topic for this evening. As we are slowly coming to a close on our eschatology series, this is the chapter on resurrection where Paul sort of strings together all his lines of thought and says it all revolves around resurrection. In fact, he has that marvelous statement in 1514 where he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We'll come back to talk about that in the sermon, but this chapter highlights the central importance of the resurrection for the Christian faith. So if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That sends God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our great and merciful Father, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for this marvelous meditation, this inspired uh, rumination on the beauty and majesty and power of the resurrection. Father, we pray that you would impress it into our hearts. May Christ's own resurrection be our very life, and may the hope of our own resurrection be our our joy and our uh, all-consuming passion. Father, I pray for uh, myself as your servant that you would give me words to speak. Father, guide my lips and my tongue. Lord, would you open our hearts and our eyes and our minds that we might see Christ in this passage. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, if you have talked to me for long enough, you will find that very shortly after talking to me, I will normally start talking about an author that many people hate and few people love, which is probably why I love him, William Faulkner. Maybe many of you guys have not read him since high school and never even want to think about reading him ever again. But in his novel, The Sound and the Fury, he has what is perhaps one of my favorite paragraphs ever written in the English language. Uh, Jason Compson, the patriarch of the tortured Compson family is about to send his son Quentin off to Harvard. And as he does so, he pulls out his grandfather's pocket watch and he says to Quentin, I give you the mausoleum of all hope and desire. It's that ticking of the clock that reminds us that death is right around the corner. And he tells him that it, is, it shows us that the battlefield of history reveals one thing, 
and that is man's own folly and despair, and that victory is an illusion of philosophers and fools. See, what Faulkner is, what Jason Compson is getting across is his own cynical outlook, that when we hear the ticking of the clock, the one thing it reminds us of is that everyone dies, that everyone meets his meets the end of his journey sooner rather than later. And we think of also TikTok, right? The, clock, the crocodile, not the social media platform. But in this TikTok, the crocodile and Peter Pan, he's the one who chases Captain Hook around. And every time Captain Hook hears that ticking, he knows danger is near. And yet, when we think about this crocodile TikTok, perhaps the illustration is all too apt, because just like TikTok had taken Captain Hook's hand and was coming to finish him off, right, so death has taken something from every one of us, and sooner or later will come to finish the job. It's that clock, that ticking, that reminds us that the end is near. And throughout history, The Christian doctrine of the resurrection has been denigrated as some sort of illusion put on by people who just couldn't face the fact that that was how it was. Just people frightened by the reality that at the end of this, that's all there is. As one of my favorite bands, Death Cab for Cutie, puts it in their song, St. Peter's Cathedral, that it's broken clocks and granite steeples, merely showing that it's all a conspiracy. A conspiracy that there's nothing past this. And yet, as we see in this chapter, as we know from our own Christian experience, resurrection isn't just a happy thought. It's not just something that Christians have developed in order to live in this world. Instead, resurrection is at the very center of our religion. It's the heartbeat of what we believe in. It is, as many New Testament scholars have said, the very focal point of Paul's own theology. And when he looks at Jesus Christ and Christ's own resurrection, everything else flows from this fact, that Jesus rose from the dead. And in fact, we can say all that happens in our own resurrection, in our own hope of glory, is a full growth, a full flowering of what began in Christ's resurrection. Now, what that means is if resurrection is the center point of Paul's theology and the center point of Christianity, that means that there's far too much to talk about on one night And in fact, we spend our whole lives learning about resurrection. But tonight I want to think about, in in three points, what resurrection means for us, based on Paul's meditation here in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Three things that resurrection means. And the first is that resurrection means gloriously new bodies. means gloriously new bodies. And he starts there in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. 
And Paul is sort of summing up there in that first clause, I tell you this, brothers, he's summing up everything that's come before, of putting a capstone on all his thoughts on the resurrection. He says, here's the baseline point. Fallible, corruptible, broken people cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We can think about it like this, right? We have a need for our bodies to be transformed for what awaits us. If someone, right, threw me a pair of football pads and a helmet and said, hey, Christian, we're going we're gonna to put you in the next Titans game, right, and you're going to catch the ball, you know, right in the crease, try not to get hit by the linebacker and just run for the end zone, right? If that were to happen, I would need a new body for that to take place, right? If I got hit by even a kicker in the NFL, right, I would just die, And so we have a calling for us that needs, means new bodies. And Paul is showing us both what awaits us and what we need in order for that to be accomplished. As 1 Peter 1 tells us that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And by nature of who we are, mere flesh and blood, we need new spiritual bodies in order to take full possession of that inheritance. But notice what Paul's not saying about bodies. Paul is not saying that our bodies in and of themselves are bad, that we just need to escape from the evil physicality of this world and have some sort of mental, spiritual escape to another world. There is something wrong with our bodies, but he's telling us that there's something good about our bodies, something inherent about who we are as people who have bodies. Instead, there's something very wrong with the bodies that we do have. And see, tied up with inherent finitude and weakness and simple constraints of reality, we also have sin and corruption. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul tells us that there's something else that can't inherit the kingdom of God. Not flesh and blood, but the unrighteous. And so unrighteous, fleshly, earthly people cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Sin has corrupted our bodies in such a way that they degrade and break down. And there's, we all are reminded of this every day, right? I've gotten to the age now that when I turn around to back out of my driveway, my whole back starts popping, my elbow pops, I, I tweak a muscle in my neck just backing out. And every day we're reminded of the fact that our bodies tear out, wear out, and tear down. So the Christian teaching of the resurrection is tied up with the knowledge that in these bodies that we have now, the bodies that have been with us our entire lives, are not who or what they're really supposed to be. Both our bodies and our souls are in desperate need of an upgrade, an upgrade that will wipe away every trace of corruption, every trace of 
sin, weakness, mortality. And notice that Paul isn't saying that only the dead will be, oh, he said, Paul is saying only the dead will be resurrected, but everyone needs to be changed. Everyone needs this change. Not, this, not thus just those lying in the tomb, but everyone living and dead at the coming of Christ needs this overhaul. We need a new system put up. He says, not all will sleep, but we will all be changed. And it's worth thinking for a moment about what we are changed for. Why do we need this upgrade? Because as we think about what we are being built for, we get a glimpse of the glory that awaits us in these new bodies. And Paul tells us what we're being made for in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So what Paul Paul is telling us is that the bodies that we're receiving are being made so that they could stand before the glory of God. That they could stand and take in all the glory that God has in heaven and bask in it for all eternity. I remember Moses, he asked God to see his face. Right? And what did God say? He said, no one can see my face and live. But I'll let you see my back. And if you remember, even the backside of God was strong enough to make Moses' face shine for days on end. We need full bodies that can take in all the power of the triune God for all eternity. And notice another, not only will, another characteristic of this body. Not only are they imperishable, but they're immortal. The mortal will put on immortality. And there's not many people or things that are described as immortal. But God is in 1 Timothy 6.16. Paul says the immortal God. And so we can think our bodies are being made like God. Not partaking of God, don't, mis, don't mishear me, but we are being made like God in order that we can stand before the face of God. We need bodies that are uncorruptible, immortal, so that we can stand before the face of God for all eternity and grow in holiness day by day. You will be you. Don't mishear me. You will continue to be you for all eternity. We are not subsumed, consumed by some sort of devouring divine presence. We remain ourselves, but we have new spiritual bodies taking in the glory of the triune God. And we'll find that we're more ourselves than we ever could imagine to be. We're more ourselves in glory than we ever thought we would be here on earth. So the resurrection first means new bodies. But resurrection also means the final defeat of death. 
means the final, the final strike on that great enemy. And if our resurrection is the, the full flowering of Christ's own resurrection, then our resurrection will mean the final defeat of death. See, at Christ's resurrection, death itself was dealt a death blow. And in our resurrection, death is, as Paul puts it so beautifully there, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is finally swallowed up. Christ's return, as Paul tells us here, and as we saw last week in 1 Thessalonians, is accompanied by trumpets sounding. And yes, it's trumpets of joy, it's trumpets of the archangels of heaven, but it's trumpets of victory, first and foremost. Trumpets that are sounding that the victory is finished. Death is no more. And Paul, in, in thinking about this, brings in two Old Testament passages, Isaiah 25, 8, and Hosea 13, 14. And both of these, oddly enough, are found not in talking about final salvation necessarily, but talking about the exile and return to the land. So in Hosea 13, 14, where Paul is finding his, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It is God telling his people, yes, you're wicked. I'm casting you out. But one day, I'm going to bring you back in. And so what this shows us is that belief in the resurrection has, A, been a belief for God's people for all time, but belief in the resurrection is also integral to the belief that God rescues his people. If you don't believe that God raises the dead, then God doesn't rescue his people because there's always a final enemy coming for them. Now, in preaching classes, they always teach you, right, to always give an illustration for every point. And yet, Paul here gives us what is perhaps the greatest illustration, death being swallowed up. Or in 2 Corinthians 5, talking about the, 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 the death being swallowed up by life. Right, can you imagine when death itself is no longer a thought? When it's hardly even a memory, because it's been swallowed up by the God who is himself life. But there is an illustration. They, there is an ancient Near Eastern god called Moat out there. And Moat, if you see, if you were to look up drawings or statues of him, he's kind of got a frog-like structure. He's kind of round and squatty, and he had this big old throat. Right? And Moat, the death god, swallowed everything up. He had an insatiable hunger for everything. And Moat also was the Hebrew word for death. So this ancient Near Eastern god, Moat, death, swallowed everything up. And Moat was engaged in an eternal struggle with Baal. That God we learned about today in 1 Kings. Baal, the God of rain, storms, fertility. And there was never any, any finality between these two. 
right? When, when it was spring and things were blooming, Baal was winning. When it was fall and winter and things were dying, Moat was winning. And yet the, the Babylonians, the Phoenicians, all those who worshipped this god, these gods, Moat and Baal, never really got the joke, which was that Moat always won. Moat always won. No matter how many times Baal came back around, Moat always won. But now, Paul tells us, death, that thing that swallows everything up since the fall, will one day itself be swallowed up. And that's a glorious thought. Death being swallowed up by life. So resurrection means new bodies. Resurrection means the final defeat of death. And yet, as Paul, as Paul will hint here in this last verse, resurrection means that what we do now matters. Resurrection means that we have meaning. And Paul is here to tell us that this is a present reality, this resurrection. It's not just something we look forward to. It's there when he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that comes into the present and affects how we live. Sin made death a painful, hard reality. As Paul says, the sting of death is sin. Every day we approach the grave with every tick of the clock, we knew that there was judgment coming for us. Yet now with the freedom found in Christ and the promise of the resurrection, we have a new future that awaits us. And so death, as Paul tells us, no longer has its sting. For Christians, not to make a, a trite matter out of a sobering and somber thing like death, but Christians can look death in the face and no longer feel its sting. No longer fear what's on the other side. And so Paul gives us, he ends the whole passage, as we saw, a charge for the present life. There in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord at all times, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And this would then be echoed by him again in that same passage we saw last week, 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, where Paul says, Therefore, Encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with the truth that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's taking those who are his with them. See, we walk in this life here and now knowing that a glorious future awaits us, a future where we will be perfect, but even more so, a future where we will dwell with God and see our King Jesus face to face. And it is because of that that we can say resurrection means our lives matter now. Because without the hope of life beyond the grave, the integrity of the meaning of our lives begins to come apart. As Paul says in what we just saw a few minutes ago in 1514, that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, but even more so, 
your faith is in vain. And I think Paul's getting at something far deeper than just our faith being in vain. Because if there's no resurrection, there's no meaning in anything. Nothing matters. So it's no surprise that Quentin Thompson, the tortured son of Jason Thompson, armed with that inspiring, courage-inducing speech that victory is only the field of fools and philosophers, would end up killing himself in Faulkner's novel. And in fact, Jason Thompson's own cynical outlook on life would ricochet and shatter and fracture every single one of his son's and daughter's lives. It is only in the Christian doctrine of the resurrection that provides the stability that we need. You can't find it in Hinduism's reincarnation. Buddhism's nirvana gives even less hope. And even Islam, with their own type of resurrection in a paradise with all the pleasures of life, quickly shows itself to be a mirage. It is only when we are given the promise of eternal, perfect communion with the triune God that this life begins to find its meaning. Everything we do, everything you do in this life, whether it's school, work, parenting, paying your taxes, making coffee in the morning, everything we do in this life is leading us toward that point of being with Jesus in new glorious bodies. And it makes it so that our actions have eternal consequences and that everything the Lord gives us to do, whether we think it's a noble calling or a low calling, is leading us to that point and is part of the process of our resurrection. And we can draw the utmost confidence and joy knowing that our inheritance is waiting for us. We can draw confidence and joy, confidence being steadfast, immovable, in the knowledge that this life matters. So let me ask you, are you concerned that this life isn't panning out quite like you thought it would? Well, be steadfast, immovable, knowing that life and life abundantly waits for you on the other side? Are you facing a diagnosis that only means one thing for you? Or perhaps you've faced the death of a loved one? Well, be steadfast, immovable, knowing that death will be swallowed up and never reign again. Are you beaten down by sin again and again and again, never seeming able to shake that old man? Will be steadfast, immovable, knowing that one day sin will barely be a memory, unable to touch us anymore. But perhaps the thing that most affects us all, do you feel like life is painfully mundane, never changing, merely one empty day after another. 
Well, rejoice and be glad, for this is the day that the Lord has made. And one day we will have glorious, perfect bodies, beholding the full glory of God for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can't help but marvel at the beautiful truth of the resurrection. And that coming from Christ's own breakthrough of the grave comes our own hope and joy in a glorious future with new bodies beholding you face to face. Father, make us steadfast. Make us immovable. Give us the joy and the knowledge knowing that all that we do here, our labors are not in vain in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, let that truth touch us this week as we go out and serve you. We pray this in your Son's mighty and matchless name. Amen.